welcome to another edition of Star Wars Wednesday here on Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula. I am here with my brother Raj. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. And we are finally on to the original trilogy, Star Wars A New Hope, Episode 4. I'm excited. Praise the maker. (laughs) I see what you did there. Uh, All right, so... We're going to do this one the same way we've done the other ones. We're going to go through a real quick plot synopsis real quick and then go. I didn't need to say real quick twice. It probably won't be that quick, but then we'll talk about some things we like, maybe some things we don't like, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So get you you started here. I'm sure you probably, if you're listening to this, have a loose idea of what this movie's about, but we'll give it to you anyway. Basically... The galaxy is in a civil war, and the this is coming directly off of the events of Rogue One, where the plans to the Death Star have been successfully stolen and uh, transmitted to Princess's, Princess Leia's ship. Although, if you're watching it for the first time in 1977... You did not know this. You have no idea about it anymore. Right. You know, because you've already listened to the Rogue One podcast that we've done, Mm -hmm. and hopefully have watched the best of the Star Wars movies several times. (laughs) Uh, And so, so the the opening scene is is Darth Vader finally tracking down uh, Princess Leia's ship and trying to reobtain these plans that have been stolen, Uh, basically, you see Leia, she's putting the plans into R2-D2, R2-D2 and C-3PO blast off in a uh, escape pod and uh, land on Tatooine while Leia is captured by Darth Vader. Uh, The droids R2 and C-3PO are captured by Jawas and eventually sold to Owen and Baru Lars. Ever heard of them? Baru? Baru. Uh, Not Peru. And not Varu. I definitely thought for about 20 years, maybe more, that it was Varu. See, and I thought the entire time it was Peru. I'm I'm serious. Like, I, I thought it was, like, the country. I was like, well, all right. Um, anyway, you may know them as the aunt and uncle of one Luke Skywalker. Uh, so they're, they buy R2-D2 and C-3PO after a close call with an R4 unit um, who had a bad motivator. It actually was an R2 unit. At least according to what he said in the... Oh, yeah, that's right. You're right. You're right. Um, so there was a different R2 unit that had a bad motivator, and R2-D2 just kind of, just kind of slid right in there. Um, and so they get these droids, Luke's cleaning them, and finds this message, or partial message, from Princess Leia. Help me, one Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. <laughs> um, he says, who is that? She's beautiful, which is creepy because that's your sister, Luke. But he doesn't know that, so... We're not going to hold that against him. Um, So they find out, or he sees the message. R2 convinces him to take the restraining bolt off, and R2 bolts off to go and find Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, Luke obviously goes and tries to find him, gets attacked by sand people, and enter Obi-Wan Kenobi, who saves his skin. Um, At that point, Obi-Wan starts to tell Luke about his father and the Force and hands him his lightsaber. Which, you know, handing somebody completely untrained and just a lightsaber like, yeah, here you go, kid. 
maybe not the best idea, but yeah, he also just starts whipping that thing. Yeah, he's just like, oh, this, this is crazy, man. <laughs> um, so you know, that's maybe give him a few lessons first before you turn it on. But anyway, uh, so Obi Wan tries to convince, or so R two D two plays the entire message for Obi Wan. Obi Wan, despite knowing who R two D two is, as we know from the prequels, pretends not to. Does never recalls owning a droid which is technically true yeah but yeah. He, he should probably remember r2d2 um anyway so they he plays the message and R uh, obi-wan tries to convince luke to go to to alderaan with him and luke says i'm gonna be in enough trouble as it is <laughs> i can take you to this other place on the same planet which is not helpful <laughs> thanks luke uh so luke goes back to uh, Owen and Baru's house and R.I.P. They have been like disintegrated. I don't know how they're skeletons already. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting. I never thought about it as a kid. I was just like, oh no. Yeah, I always sort of assumed that the house was on fire and and they like almost made it out except for they were still on fire and they just kind of fell down and like only skeletons their flesh left. burned off. But to be honest. Looking at the way that they're arranged, that does not... I mean, when I was a kid, that's what I was like. Yeah. Oh, man. Horrible yeah. fire in their house because the, the stormtroopers... I don't know it, if, but... like, they were tortured by stormtroopers for information and... It also could be, I like, a setting on your blaster where, like, you fry somebody enough, but not all the way. Yeah, it's like, mm, disintegrate flesh, leave bone. Like, yeah. that's the setting on the... <laughs> blaster because there's a stun setting that we see in this movie that i don't think we ever you see never again. see again as far as i know um yeah. so you know there's apparently settings on the blaster so maybe disintegrate flesh is one of them i don't know <laughs> um it's not something i realized until i watched it as an adult but anyway so owen and baru are dead pour out some blue milk for our homies <laughs> and uh so at that point luke's like well i guess i'll go to alderaan i don't really have anything else to do uh at this point they go into most Eisley where they meet Han Solo and Chewie. Um, Han says he's got a ship fast enough to get him, or a fast ship to get him to uh, Alderaan. And Chewie goes and starts to make preparations or whatever. And this is a very important scene in the movie. It's not really, but Greedo comes in, has a little chat with Han Solo here. Now, unfortunately, I have the unauthorized version in which there are two shots fired. <laughs> I just want to make it clear. I wouldn't call it unauthorized. Illegitimate, though. Illegitimate version. Yes. Unauthorized in my heart. Yes. Illegitimate <laughs> version where two shots are fired. Let it be made clear for all who hear this, only one shot was fired, and that shot was by Han Solo. Yeah. Okay? It, it's almost wrong to even say Han shot first, because there was only there one shot. There was only shot. one shot. Han just shot. Okay? <laughs> We're making shirts. Copyright. Same, same thing as when he shoots Beckett in Solo. There's one shot. Han did it. And Greedo never even got the gun out. All right? Just, I, I think had, he had the gun out. He, uh, just, he, he had him at gunpoint. Okay, sure. Okay. So ne Greedo never got a shot off. Just want to make that clear. Han shot. Period. The end. Anyway. All right. So, but that scene is somewhat important because we find out that Han is indebted to Jabba the Hutt at that point. Anyway, so they get to the Millennium Falcon and are headed to Alderaan, and they end up in a basically asteroid field, meteor field, something field, rocks in space field, debris, debris field. Yeah. Um, 
and rocks in space <laughs> they they get there and they're like well alderaan should be here but it's not it you know why it's because the death star blew it up already guys True. um and at that point they see a tie fighter coming through space they chase it because they think they can track it down and then they're like oh it's heading to that small moon that's no moon <laughs> that's a space station and it is a space station. It's the Death Star. So they. Well, I thought it was too big to be a space station. Oh, uh, well, you know, they thought it was, but they were wrong. Well. Uh, but they follow the TIE fighter a little too close and get caught in the tractor beam and get captured. Or, or well, they don't get captured because they smuggle themselves. But they get, uh, the ship gets captured on the Death Star. So... They figure out a way, they figure out a little plan, Obi-Wan's going to go turn off the tractor beam, they're supposed to stay put, but R2-D2 finds out that Princess Leia's on the ship, so they go and try and rescue Princess Leia, try being the optimal word, because they're not great at it, um, you know, enter trash compactor and, and all that fun stuff, and then you've got the pivotal scene with Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fighting. Luke makes his way there, and Obi-Wan puts his sword up and sacrifices himself so he can become a Force ghost. And then Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie and the droids all zip off to Yavin to deliver the plans. And then you've got the... They've got them tracked, which Han can't believe they would track the Millennium Falcon, mm -hmm. despite the fact that it seems to happen a lot. Uh, and it's also been sitting in their cargo bay for yeah, the I mean, part of a day. And you haven't been monitoring it at all. I mean, you just you would have no idea, Han. You're just <laughs> saying things. Um, so they zip off to Yavin. The Death Star follows them there. And then we have the epic Battle of Yavin, which is also, interestingly, kind of the dividing point in Star Wars time. Um, it's after battle, it's like before battle of Yavin and after battle of Yavin. Mm. So you'll hear some people say, okay, this was like to refer to the prequels. They'll be like, okay, this was 30 years, AB, uh, BBY that's before battle of Yavin huh. or in like force awakens. They'll be like, okay, this is 20 years, ABY after battle of Yavin. So that's the dividing point in the star Wars. It's like zero in BC and AD. That's battle of Not Yavin. ABV though, which is alcohol by volume. Correct. But could be. It, I mean, it I mean, could be. It's not, though. Could be related, at least. I don't think so. Okay. I'm almost positive it's not. Uh, blue milk does not have alcohol in it. That we know of. It's very healthy. <laughs> uh, why would Han, or why would uh, Luke drink it so much if it wasn't? <laughs> well, <laughs> don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. That's, that's for episode eight. Um, anyway, so, have the Battle of Yavin. Uh... They think Han Solo takes off because he's like, I gotta go page Java because, you know, Greedo. And Luke is doing his little Death Star run. He's about to get gunned down by Darth Vader. Surprise, Han's back. Yeah. Shoots Darth Vader. Just clips him, though. Goes spinning off into space. Gives Luke a free run to the Death Star. And pew, pew! <laughs> right down the uh, ventilation shaft. Blows up the Death Star. And then everybody gets a medal except for Chewie. Nonsense. How come Chewie doesn't get a medal? Yeah, I mean it's definitely a little species ish. -ish. I'm just, yeah. I'm just. Chewie didn't do enough to get a medal. I feel like Chewie did enough to get a medal. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, uh, also R two probably could have got a medal. It might be hard to like put it over his head. 
Yeah, I mean, 3PO didn't get one either, did he? Yeah, 3PO didn't do anything, though. <laughs> they Ar- mostly just tell him to shut up. Yeah, the they're just like, Ar- just like, see, 3PO, just quiet, all right? We're not cleaning or anything right now. We don't need a <laughs> protocol droid. <laughs> Although... R2 is, like, instrumental in the flight because he's on the ship. Okay, but 3PO is the one who picked up the comms and, like, got them rescued from the trash compactor. Granted, he's not the one who, like, I know, told the you're Death like Star to do it. grandfathering but... that. In. He's also the one that turned it off and got him in that situation in the first place. Well, no, they, it, Leia got them in that situation. Well, fair enough. But also, um, he's annoying, so he doesn't deserve a medal. <laughs> no, that's, like, too far back. Like, that's right. not part of the Battle of Yavin. I mean, Jar Jar becomes a senator. So Yeah, and how look how great that went. He made the Emperor the Emperor. That's fair. That's fair. It went very poorly. Maybe maybe they've learned from their lessons a little bit. They're just like, mm, we're gonna be a little stricter about accolades <laughs> in the future. Alright, so that is the plot of uh episode four, A New Hope, which was not originally known as A New Hope. It was just called Star Wars. And then they started making other ones and we're like, ah crap, we better name it. Um And I think A New Hope is an appropriate name, especially Obviously, they named it this before Rogue One came out, mm-hmm. but with the theme of hope and everything in Rogue One. Yeah, they say and it several times through the movie. They do say it several times through the movie. Rebellions are built on hope, comes out a couple times, and then Leia at the very end. She says, what have they given us that's so important? She says, hope. Um, so, A New Hope is a very appropriate title for... No, yeah, I meant even in this movie, they say the word hope. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Yes, you know, yeah. Et cetera. Um, so, uh, appropriate title, I think, but... So that's the that's the gist of the original Star Wars film, mm-hmm. which, when it came out, was the highest grossing film of all time. Wow! At like seven hundred seventy five million, which in nineteen seventy seven is a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ironically uh, took out Jaws, which is a Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. And was surpassed by E.T., which I believe is also a Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah. Uh, and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are, like, best friends. So, I don't know, I just thought that was funny. Basically, Spielberg and Lucas just ran the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I'm curious where uh, where uh, Indiana Jones... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't have it on the, uh, on the list here, but um, when adjusted for inflation, Star Wars is still the second highest grossing film in North America... And fourth highest grossing film worldwide all time. What's number one? Uh, I don't know. I can the mystery. Gonna let, me, be... let me click on this Wikipedia link right okay. here. Well, while you're doing that, I have somewhat of a... It's not really a hot take. It's at least a lukewarm take. Um, so we've, we've talked. We know Rogue One is your favorite. Um, yes. I, I think that this is the best Star Wars movie um, now, best I, define best first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so where you I'll make a into. distinction between best and most fun to watch. I think that there's definitely an argument to be made that Rogue One is the most watchable movie of the entire uh, saga or sure. series. Um, so real quick, uh, adjusted for inflation, it's gone with the wind, but that's because it was the only movie out. <laughs> it helps when you're a million years old. Yeah. So it's gone with the wind, Avatar, Titanic, Star Wars. Yeah. And then Endgame, Sound of Music, E.T., Ten Commandments, Dr. Shivago, and then Star Wars Force Awakens rounds out the top 10. Nice. So there you go. Anyway. That's good to know. We come here to be informed. You do the heavy lifting for us. That's the idea. We appreciate it. Yeah. So. But anyway, um, I mean, as you mentioned, 
this movie used to be the only Star Wars. Right. There wasn't any episode number, no title. It was just Star Wars. Um, and, and for that matter, this movie could have been the only movie in the franchise, and it still would have been groundbreaking. It's We still would have been grateful for it. Yep. Um, it, it is probably the best standalone film in the entire series. Yeah, it might be the only standalone film in, in the entire series. Rogue One is, I think, the next Rogue One's very sure. close, I think, but, because you can get a lot... You can get a lot of what they're doing just from the context of the actual movie. Yeah. It certainly helps if you've got the context of just episode four, even. I think even just knowing who Vader and Leia are from Rogue One. Yes. That's, those are pretty much the only two pieces that you have to have. A little bit more info on. Yeah. Uh, although it's it's hard to say that if those were... Like if, it's hard to separate it from the knowledge you already have. Yeah, exactly. Like if that was the movie in 1977, I think we still would have really loved it. And, sure. Yeah. And be like, I want to know more about this, but the movie still works. Yeah. You know? And you're you would probably just be like, when's the next one coming out? Because I'm into this. Right. Rogue One definitely feels like if it had come out alone, Rogue One feels very much like a, oh they're setting it up for a sequel, uh-huh. where A New Hope is basically a, a completely contained movie by itself. Yeah. And so I've been I've been playing with this thought in my head all week. Um, I think that this is the Helen of Troy of movies. You know, they, they used to say of Helen of Troy that she was the face that launched a, th- a thousand ships. And, uh, you know, not only did this movie launch the entire Star Wars franchise, but, I mean, it impacted filmmaking forever, as you can tell by, you know, the, the adjusted for in- inflation box office. But also, um, you know, we'll, and we'll get into this a little bit in a little in a moment, but. Um, the way that movie soundtracks were done, the uh, the entire science fiction genre. And yeah, you can make an argument about 2001 Space Odyssey uh, being a precursor to this. That was also very influential. But in terms of commercial success and um, and what this movie did culturally. Well, and not just culturally, but from a production and technical standpoint. I mean, this launched, what, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, mm-hmm. which is still like the best effects house in L.A. Yeah. 40, 40 years later. Probably in the world. Uh, yeah, in, in the world. Yeah, it, it's like the FX studio, yeah. right? And it's, this launched all of that. Like, that is, that is the one thing I will never take away from George Lucas is his innovation as an FX guy. Like, just whether it's building sets and or having the creativity to work within his limitations, that especially in 1977 when... There was no CG. There was, I mean, his budget was extremely limited. And so he was able to create this spectacle out of nothing. Yeah. And with almost nothing. Yeah. And that's something, listen, I have plenty of complaints about George Lucas. That's something you can't take away from. Yeah. And that's one of the enduring legacies of the film. Yeah. And so part of the reason I bring this up is because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, critically, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back is a better movie. Uh, it's more interesting, more in depth, whatever. But uh, you know, for my money, and 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 honestly, I think culturally and and like we said, uh, cinematically, this movie changed everything. It made. I mean, you could definitely make the argument that the the Marvel movies, uh, you know, the uh, Star Trek movies. Although Star Trek actually the series came prior, uh, but it was more campy and it wasn't. You know, like it just—it wasn't the same thing. This was this gave us an appetite for this sort of action adventure in space sci-fi yeah. kind of movie. Yep. Even though I know it's a space opera, don't hate me for it on Twitter or whatever. 
Um, but but this movie was just so significant. I think people breeze over it too quickly because you know of, of the emotional complexity of Empire or you know some of the other things they like about other movies, and they they sort of pick those out. But it's like this movie is the foundation. It is the one that matters above all others. I would say it's the most important movie in the series. Mm-hmm. I still think Rogue One's the best movie in the series. I think I, w- I would definitely agree that uh, Rogue One is the best made movie yes. of the entire series, and so and and therefore is a much more enjoyable. Uh, or I wouldn't say it's a much more enjoyable watch, but it is a very very enjoyable watch, and it and it might be more enjoyable to watch. But part of that I would also argue is sort of by today's standards as well yeah that's also true because you know you go through uh you go through a new hope and the pacing is much closer to like a 70s movies pacing Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit slower it you know there's a little bit more i don't want to say dead time but just time where not a ton is going on and they just it just paced slower it's just a slower moving movie yeah i mean it's interesting that you don't meet luke until almost 20 minutes into the movie and they allow a lot of space for this movie to breathe and just let it be what it is. Um, but I was, I was talking to my business partner, Ben, uh, at fruitful about, about his parents going to see this movie in the theaters for the first time. And he said that his dad could probably count on, on one hand, the number of movies that he saw in the theater, but he saw this one three times. So it's yeah. like, you know, Jaws, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. I don't remember if he saw Jaws or not, but, um, you know, it's like this one was so huge, and well, and the interesting thing about the theater release of this is, so it came out in 1977 as not like a limited release, but it didn't have the budget to have like a wide distribution, mm-hmm. and so, but it was you know like a cult classic at that point, and then in 1978, because of the popularity of it in 1977, they re-released it as like a nationwide wide release. Mm-hmm. Every theater in America had this in 1978, so a year after it was actually released. And a friend of mine, actually, uh, shout out to my guy, John Hood, remember standing in line as like a four-year-old with his parents in uh, in Seattle, I think, what, just waiting in line for hours hmm. to see Star Wars because they got cut off the, for the showing right before him. The line cut off right before him, so they had to sit through the entire <laughs> showing and then go into the next one because oh, it was man. only playing on the one screen, right? Because yeah. that's how they did it back in the day. So they sat through not only the initial wait up time, but then had to sit through the movie while outside <laughs> and then go in and see the movie. Yeah. And so that was, I just thought that was a cool Which, story about like just the desire people had to consume Star Wars at that point. Yeah. Can I also just say, God bless the people who created apps that you can pick your own seat before you go to the movie so we don't have to do stuff like that anymore. Thank or you for even that. Even when you have to do something like that, for whatever reason, you have a smartphone to entertain you true. for yeah. two hours. Yeah. You can watch a different movie on your smartphone. <laughs> I can watch Rogue One while sitting in line to watch Star Wars A New Hope. That was You're just sitting in line with a four-year-old in 1978. Like, good luck, my guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, kudos to his parents, because wow. But yeah, anyway, Ben, ben was saying his parents, uh, that they saw the movie, and even his mom was said that that you were just so in awe of what was on the screen because you'd never seen anything like it before and so much so that people wanted to just get back in line and do it again because it was just like i don't really know what i just saw and i I want to need to see it again to really comprehend what just happened yeah and and i think there have been maybe a handful of movies in our lifetime that have, have had similar things i think the matrix might be one of the closest where it's just like 
okay, I need to do that again. But <laughs> again, all of that is based on uh, on the the legacy of this movie, um, and so. Yeah, the, I just want to say before we jump into this, this is this is the movie that launched everything else, not just in this franchise, but but in everything in in a lot of other uh, cinema, and and I'm incredibly grateful for it. I I tried to watch it with fresh eyes this time. It's, it has been a little while since I've seen it all the way through, just sat down, and uh, it did. You know, it it reminds me of uh, of being a kid and watching it, and how many you know young people out there you know we're using vacuum attachments and and paper towel tubes and whatever to be lightsabers and, oh yeah you know it's just like it this captured our imagination in such an incredible way and we destroyed so many rolls of uh wrapping paper oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> much sorry mom uh, but yeah. i'm pretty sure i always blamed it on you but uh so uh, before we get into kind of what happens in the movie, I, w- I wanted to talk about a couple of things okay. that really stood out to me. So one one thing I I thought was even after all these years, the opening titles of Star Wars always just stir something in me. And part of it's because it's that really like jarring. Right I'll say it's the, the music for me. Uh, like I don't care about the I don't care about the crawl. I like the scroll at all. So I was gonna talk about the crawl too, but yeah, I just want to like just from that beginning. Yeah, the music. It's. It, it's it stirs it's like a mix of excitement and kind of anxiety in me like i still worry that the heroes are going to make it through even though i know every time that they do yeah um but but like it just hearing that noise it's like oh boy like buckle up um i will say yeah. so in this one at the time in its original release mm-hmm. i understand the importance of the crawl right of the scroll so I was going to ask about that because I, I literally can't think about, I can't think of any other movie that starts with this much exposition, three paragraphs of exposition. I can't at either. the beginning. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's got any uh, examples of that, I'd love to see them. But, you know, I mean, you get a few, it's like 1944, you know, Hitler's doing this, blah, blah, blah. Let's get into it, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, but this is a movie that, that has the most exposition, exposition that I've seen in any movie yes uh, and then it, it's a hallmark of the series although like we talked about with rogue one i don't really miss it when it's not there right and, and that's so at this point i don't need it obviously yeah i don't usually pay attention to it anymore uh i obviously read it while i was watching it for this just to make sure that i if there was anything crazy in there to catch it but it really didn't I really think it would have been important when this movie came out. Yeah, for them, probably. For the context of seeing this movie in 1977, like, for setting out the stakes, being like, hey, the galaxy is in a civil war. Yeah. Right? Like, so, okay, that's important. That's why, you know, these people are chasing other people with, you know, spaceships through space, and, you know, they're stealing plans and being spies. Like, that makes it all just, hey, this is the context. We're Mm -hmm. in a civil war. Okay? So that, to me, is important. Although one thing I'd like to point out is that I watched this movie for, for the first time when I was in kindergarten, so I couldn't read yet the first time <laughs> I saw this. So uh, I would I would maybe make the argument that that maybe it wasn't that important important because I didn't know anything about this movie going into it. Okay, but Nobody also explained anything watching movies as a kindergartner versus watching them as like an adult. You may not have like cared as much the actual like intricacies of the plot. That's true. It was a lot more about the pew pew. I will you say. were just like, 
laser guns, laser swords, let's do this. <laughs> True. Um, no, but so, I also, and this was, so this actually really surprised me. Mm-hmm. I was actually, I felt like the prequels and, so the storyline mm-hmm. of the prequels and of Rogue One actually added a lot to my viewing of this movie. I agree with you, and it hurts me to say so. It does, because the actual viewing of the prequels can be painful. Yeah. But the storylines and the information we get from it, I felt actually added a lot to this movie. Because when you hear things like, like when Obi-Wan does the, was, does the, when Luke's like, hey, what happened to my father? Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan does the, he kind of like pauses mm-hmm. and sighs, mm-hmm. and... When you watch that without the knowledge of what actually happened with Anakin and Darth Vader, you're like, oh. It means something, but you're not sure what it means. Yeah, you're just like, oh, I guess Anakin killed Darth Vader. Or, yeah, Darth Vader killed Anakin. That's a tough look. You can tell there's a heaviness to it. Yeah, but you think it's just because his friend was murdered, right? And not because, well, I'm not going to tell you the exact truth here. (laughs) And I chopped your dad's legs off, okay? And left him to die. And arm. And I watched him burn alive. Turned him into a monster. On Mustafar. And it was, I just, I just sat there and watched for a minute, which is ages poorly, Obi-Wan. But, no, but there's this, when he's telling him what happened to him, you're just like, and you know what ha- what actually happened, you're just like, oof. But it also felt like, to me, Obi-Wan had convinced himself that that's what happened. Like, not in like the, he thought there were two different people, but that's how he had to frame it in his mind. Yeah, it was his sort of justification. Yeah, that was his, like, coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Was that the person I know is dead. I also... And the person that killed him was this Darth Vader figure. I also paid a lot more attention to, uh, you know, so when he's rescuing Luke from the Sand People and and Luke's like, hey, looking for Ben Kenobi, do you know him? And he's like, you know, I haven't heard that name in many years, you know. Yeah. And he's like, well, oh, do you know him? And he's like, of course I know him, it's me. And But, like... You know, for the fact that he hasn't heard that name, uh, and he even says, since before you were alive, uh, or before you were even born. Yeah. And so it's like, it's been at least 20 years since he's been called Obi-Wan because, I mean, he, like, for himself, distanced himself from his own identity, yeah. let alone what happened with you know, Vader and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I will say that the viewing of the prequels did have an impact on this. Like, when, when they say that they disbanded the Senate, uh, you know, when uh, Grand Moff Tarkin talks about that, they... That, that carries more weight. You like have a picture of oh the Senate. I, well, and, I and you're like you're like oh that's kind of a big deal because you've seen yeah. this progression of okay strict Republic to Republic with a really strong executive figure to emp- or the executive figure reorganizing into an empire but you still have a Senate to oh we no longer have a Senate complete it's, dictatorship. It's just this guy now. Yeah, I will say however that this it does not in any way excuse the garbage way in which the prequels were executed a hundred percent story is fine 100 for the most part still some problems but i was just i having viewed them in this order and in this proximity it really stuck with me like oh the story actually adds a lot yeah in terms yeah. of the viewing of of the the original Although trilogy i will say that uh you know for any well i guess there's probably not anybody listening who hasn't seen these movies all before but I still do think that the proper viewing order is release order. Uh, and the reason I say that is because part of the feature of Star Wars is 
the mystery of you know of not knowing exactly everything. So I would argue that the best way to view them is four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. I think you should watch the originals, then start at the beginning, watch them chronologically, and I think that is the most. I think that is the most satisfying experience in terms of because then you get the mystery of the originals, uh-huh. and then you get the information from the prequels, and then you get the originals again with the information from the prequels, and you have the experience that we just had in, okay, one, the continuity is is pretty s- stunningly good mm-hmm. in terms of, oh, they, they for really... For the most part, yeah. For, for the most part. I mean, with the... We can talk about this, but... R2 can't fly, though, yo. That's... Okay. That's important. <laughs> the other thing, but even something like that, that bothers you, uh-huh. you're like, R2's 20 years older now. Maybe he doesn't function the way he used to. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I get that you don't like that answer, but it's a reasonable answer for him not having the same abilities he had 20 years ago. He's a machine, like... <laughs> I mean, sort of. Machines after 20 years don't, like, you know, if he's been in, you know, battles if, and if whatever... If he would, like try to fly in this movie and then like the little jets come out for a second and they falls over that'd be one thing sure but, you know it's it's obviously you know it's called in movies it's called retconning so it's retroactive uh, con- uh, context or continuity yeah and so it, it's like when you're watching a show and uh, there's they're like all of a sudden the main character has a sister that you've never heard about and she's in trouble so they have to go you know whatever and right but that's a much know, like all of that stuff was the continuity was good on the stuff that you don't like the continuities it's fairly like minor like r2d2's jets even the idea of that that obi-wan doesn't remember r2d2 like is not material to the story really yeah you know all the things that are material to the plot i thought they did a really good job of even to the to the smallest uh, detail of like in the crawl where it says the rebellions coming off their first major victory and have come away and i didn't even like i understand that there was a battle of scarif and Mm -hmm. that was what we were watching Mm -hmm. but because you're so focused on the stealing of the plans like it didn't register me to me as like that's a battle until Mm -hmm. i see it until i read it in the in the crawl and i was like oh that's the rogue one is the battle that's the battle they were talking about you know and so even little things like that i thought they did a really good job on for the most part in terms of making the actual content and storyline, uh, the continuity of it, pretty pretty in line. Yeah, there, there is a lot that's that's really, really well done. Uh, in terms of story, the execution... Again, execution, terrible. Awful. But... I really, I actually really hope that Disney remakes the prequels. I don't think they ever will. I don't think but... they're going to remake them. What I would like to see, and what I think they might do, is to like fill in the gaps. So, like, there's ten years between episode one and that's episode two, enough. right? You could fit two more movies in there. Yeah. You know, wh- whether it's Anakin's training, you might get a lot more of his turn to the dark side there. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got three more years between episode um, episode two and episode three. Now, a lot of the animated series cover that, but it wouldn't shock me if they like made a, a movie to kind of summarize what happens in the animated series for the more general public. Yeah. Um, then I, not to mention... I would watch a episode one prequel that's just all darth maul I, I, I exactly i would watch a darth maul series like a like we're getting with the mandalorian i would watch uh i would love to see a movie of just darth vader somewhere pre-rogue one where he's just 
like peak Darth Vader powers mm-hmm. and just rampaging through the galaxy, mm-hmm. like I'd be all in for that. That'd be dope. Yeah. Um, and that you could make that like a really cool kind of darker Star Wars movie mm. where Darth Vader is just running roughshod through the galaxy mm. and kind of like, you know, because you have to imagine his anger and everything has not gone away since his wife was killed and he had his limbs all chopped off. Like, <laughs> after, there's going to be a time where there where he figures out how to walk again and he's like peak angry Darth Vader. Yeah. And I feel like that would be a really interesting thing to see. Yeah, although I think that we are kind of getting that in Kylo Ren, where because because part of with Vader, what you would have to have, I think, is yeah, he's he's all powerful, but you would probably also want to see him get handed a defeat, um, you know, where or he's super powerful, not all powerful, but here's the know. thing with the difference between Kylo Ren and Darth Vader, though, is Darth Vader had real trauma. Yeah, and Kylo Ren didn't really not to the extent i mean like wife wasn't murdered limbs weren't just sliced off by your best friend slash mentor his dad was murdered but that's that was it that that was mm, yeah that was kind of self-inflicted there in terms of the trauma (laughs) but so i think it's just i think they're different characters like i don't like putting the i get that there's some obviously with the helmet and everything and the bloodline I just they're different, but also just with the being a developing character. It, I actually like Kylo Ren. As I a, like Kylo Ren too, but I think Kylo Ren is much closer to like Revenge of the Sith Anakin in terms of development and also in maturity in a certain sense. Now I will say, Last Jedi Kylo Ren is a lot closer to the Darth Vader I want to see. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Force Awakens Kylo Ren is a lot closer to Revenge of the Sith Anakin. Yeah. In terms of, like, kind of angsty and whatever. But thankfully, still a lot better. Wait, well, he's a lot better actor, so that helps a lot. And better writing. Sure, better just better everything. Everything. Uh, anyway, back to back to New Hope. Um, yeah, I just, I was shocked yeah. by how much the prequels added in terms of story to the original. It's true, yeah. So, uh, again, early on, uh, I want to talk about the John Williams score and... Uh, I, I looked into his credits because part of my question was like, how'd they get John Williams? And my thought was, oh, maybe John Williams wasn't John Williams back then. But no, he was. He had a long um, IMDb page well before, uh, you know, into the 50s and 60s before. I mean, he wasn't uh, this John Williams. Yeah, but... but I mean, he still had significant writing credits, including the Carol Burnett show and and movies that were well, well known at the time. I And most importantly, and this uh, goes to your connection earlier, it was that he had written the Jaws theme, which yes. uh, was considered the best uh, horror theme um, outside of Psycho, and so it was like since Psycho, this was the next, uh, this was the best one that had come after that, and uh, so Spielberg is actually the one who hooked up uh, Williams and Lucas, and and apparently Lucas was just like, hey, uh, I like what you did with Jaws, uh, so do that for us, but better, and it's like okay, no pressure, man. <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, the article I was reading that was, was explaining this actually links to a YouTube clip that, that shows the opening title without John Williams music. And it's, it's so uncomfortable. I mean, any movie would be, but without music. Well, also, have you seen the ending scene where they get the medals without music? <laughs> yes. It's like yeah. on YouTube and it's just yeah. the most awkward thing ever. Yeah. But yeah, no, he, so, I mean, obviously, it's for, like, the 50s and 60s, so I haven't heard a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that he had done before then. 
But starting with Jaws in 75, he goes, uh, Jaws, he does a Hitchcock movie after that. He does Star Wars. He does Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He does Jaws 2. He does Superman. He does Empire Strikes Back. He does Raiders of the Lost Ark. He does E.T. He does Return of the Jedi. He does Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um, Empire of the Sun was a big movie. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, Home Alone. Hook. JFK. Home Alone 2. Jurassic Park. Schindler's List. Uh, Nixon. Lost World Jurassic Park. Uh, Seven Years in Tibet. Amistad. Saving Private Ryan. Then episode one, uh, Phantom Menace, The Patriot. Does he does some of the Harry Potter movies? He does Attack of the Clones. He does Minority Report. Catch Me If You Can. Another Harry Potter movie. Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith. War of the Worlds. Munich. Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Um, Lincoln. Force Awakens. Uh, Last Jedi. Solo Star Wars story. He does Rise of Sky. I mean, that's that's John Williams. <laughs> So basically, every giant movie in the last 30 years, that John, Williams, seen, yeah. John Williams did the score. Yeah. But this was all, I mean, other than Jaws before that. That was all after Star Wars. It was, yeah. It yeah. was like, this dude hit his stride in a hard way and just kept winning for just crushing. Know, 40 years. Also, after that. he tied himself to between Lucas with the Star Wars franchise and Indiana Jones and Steven Spielberg. And Jurassic Park. And, like, well, that was Steven Spielberg, wasn't well, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, so you tied yourself to George Lucas and then Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And basically just rode that thing out. <laughs> <laughs> He's got, like, uh, I think I read he has, like, 44 Oscar nominations. Or, and I, I don't know how many wins. I mean, just an insane yeah, amount uh, yeah. of of accolades. and I mean, this isn't just, like, Star Wars people fanning out. Like, he's the greatest like movie composer of all time yeah, he's gotta be the goat like sure. it's not even close <laughs> um so yeah the the but it is important to recognize the the role of and the other thing that was cool is each character has their own like music right except for han han is the only main character who right have so you've got like luke has his music luke's theme obi-wan has the force music leia has her music Darth Vader has his music, which you actually don't hear until The Empire Strikes Back. You don't hear the Imperial March in this movie. Oh, interesting. Um, I thought you did, but I guess maybe you don't. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. And you you would swear you did, right? You would right, just yeah, yeah. You would swear you I did. I even wrote it down. I wrote Vader's theme on it. Um, but it's it's not in here. It's not until the... Uh, it's not until the second movie. Also, apparently he also did The Fiddler on the Roof, so just, you know, in case... You needed more chops from John Williams. Yeah. Um, so. So. Uh, yeah, that's an yeah. that's a huge part of this. Just movie. jumping. So you know the music starts. You get the the battle on t- uh, the ship Tantive Four, and um, you know again I tried to watch this with like what would it be like to see this in 1977? Even though I did have these moments of like oh that's what the Senate is and all that. Yeah. Um, you know, you get C-3PO and R2-D2, whose names we don't know or an importance we don't know at the very beginning of this movie. Uh, the ship gets captured, the door gets blown off, uh, the stormtroopers come in. I just imagine, like, seeing this stuff, never having seen a movie like this yeah. before. And it's just like, what is going on? But you're also just so hooked. You're like, I'm, I'm here for this. And no one gets to go to the bathroom. Like, just <laughs> sit and watch this. Um, and the, I will say, my, uh, a, a nitpick I've had since I was five is how do C-3PO and R2-D2 cross the hallway in the middle of the battle yeah. uh, without getting blown to bits? 
Uh, it's just like, I mean, you see the lasers go by them, but it's just like, there's so many people shooting on both sides. It's just like, how do, ugh. I mean, there's that. There's also, I mean, we can talk about just the stormtroopers in general, and they're, they just never hit anything, really. Except for, then Obi-Wan, when, uh, this skips way later in the movie, but when the Sandcrawler is destroyed... And yeah. Luke is like, was this the sand people? And it's like, no, it's way too accurate. It was definitely stormtroopers. And it's like, that's not been our experience with stormtroopers to this point. Not these stormtroopers. We <laughs> don't know for sure that it wasn't like the death troopers that came and killed the Jawas or anything like that. Yeah, we don't know I mean, for sure. Yeah. Well, because we do see death troopers in Rogue One, so they exist in this timeline and true. prior to this movie existing. So Now. Now. Yeah. But, you know, also at the time... And maybe it's just people they can't hit. Maybe, you know. <laughs> like, they can blow up a ship like crazy. Yeah, they can blow up that Jawa transport like nobody's business. But, uh, no, that, I mean, you've got that scene. You've got the scene in the detention block where mm-hmm. um, Luke, Han, and Leia, and Chewie are in the hallway. And there's a hundred stormtroopers shooting at them and none of them hit them. Like, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. you know, but that's just, to me, it's just I mean, a suspension of disbelief. Yeah. You're just like, this is what happens. It's fine. Yeah. So then we get our first glimpse of Darth Vader, who's this, you know, this terrifying looking guy, even before we know that he's half robot and all, or in know anything about the force. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I, I've, I've looked into a little bit of the, the production design and stuff and I like how his helmet was fashioned off of Nazi stormtrooper helmets. And, uh, you know, and so it's like, there's just a historical context and his mask is, um, you know, off of a, a skull, like a human skull. And so it's like, he's he's supposed to look demonic like and Like menacing, evil. yeah. Like everything that you could ever think of that's scary, uh, you know, that is kind of thrown into this guy's costume, including, uh, you know, in this movie, he's got the red eyes. Um, you can't, I mean, it's not great uh, film quality, so you can't really tell as much, but they changed that to black later on. Um, and then you also, we also get introduced to Princess Leia, uh, and then all this is like all in this opening real scene. quick on Darth yeah. Vader quick before so he is choking a guy by holding him up in the air I that's actually right after we get introduced to Leia but yes absolutely. which I thought was interesting because it's like they didn't want to tell you about the force quite yet yeah and so at this point yeah and now you know like okay that's a robot arm so that's a lot easier to just like raise him up <laughs> but at the time you're like this guy's a freak yeah exactly you're like how he's just holding he's this guy so up strong. in the air just indefinitely it increases our sense of how brutal he is because you can actually hear the bones like cracking in this guy's neck yeah or um and yeah i actually wrote yeah he's brutally choking this guy the scary james earl jones voice um and then i like throughout this scene too so you get leia with her iconic hairstyle and then um and then when when she after she gets stunned and captured r2d2 uh 3po getting the escape pod but then uh they bring her to vader and she's just strong she's smart she's beautiful rest in peace carrie fisher um that also stuck out to me where she's just like give zero f's about who darth vader yeah, is I, just not intimidated she's the only one on the ship who is not terrified by him. She's talking smack. Yeah. From She's just like, oh, I should have recognized your stench when, you know, when I, as soon as you came on board or whatever. And it's like, wow. (laughs) Um, And she also, uh, you know, she's, she's just a different kind of character. Um, You know, you look at like movies in the fifties and sixties and kind of what the roles expected of women were. And, and especially before that, 
and and she is just like full blooded, you know, feminine, uh, strong, everything. And, she's and definitely not your like damsel in distress character type. Not, she's yeah. just like I will handle this on my own. Yeah, my my wife Lindsay asked uh, last night. She's like, so did like every boy have a crush on Princess Leia? And it's like, yes, all of them. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, for sure. Um, and and honestly, I you know we can joke about that a little bit, but. But it's interesting. I think that that actually like shaped what I was looking for in a woman in the future, like in the rest of my life. Is that it's like that's someone like oh that's a, a partner, that's a teammate, you know. And it's like you, I didn't want somebody who was you know docile and submissive, and maybe what was kind of prized in earlier generations in a, a wife or a partner. Um, I think I, I really think that she played a pretty significant role in changing. Uh, the cultural view of women of course there were other movements in the 60s and such that that did that but but she was an icon in that way well and it's i think it's you kind of with the context of it you have to remember how unusual it was to have a woman be a main hero in an action movie yeah in 1977 yeah i mean that's kind of crazy like now you have you have ray obviously in the new trilogy you've got um felicity jones and uh and J- uh jen or in the uh in row one so star wars has a history of this but mm-hmm. in 1977 when carrie fisher was playing uh leia there was to my knowledge very little of this to be spoken of in in major hollywood movies yeah um so that was you're right that was a that was a huge that was a huge choice by george lucas or maybe by marshall lucas i don't know who decided <laughs> that but yeah, we and we won't dissect every scene as in details this, but the last thing that I did notice in that very opening scene was that uh, at the end of it, Vader is laying appearances to lie to the Senate, that it, saying that everybody on board was killed and what they're supposed to report to the Senate. And yeah. so uh, I will say that's somewhere where the prequels did give a little bit of context of like, oh, I can see why he's trying to manage this relationship still. Yes. Um, and much in the same way at the end of Rogue One or near the end where he's like, there is no Death Star. Doesn't exist. Don't talk about yeah. it. Yeah, Death Star doesn't exist. You know, Jetta was killed in a or was destroyed mining in a mining accident. accident. Yep. Like, they're still trying to until they're ready and have proven that this is a fully operational tool to manage the Empire with the Death Star. I mean, that they really want to keep the Senate intact to kind of keep everybody's toes in line. Yeah. Um. So then we uh, you know, jump over to Tatooine. It's a planet we've never seen before. Um. You know, and and three uh, PO and R two are uh, fighting. I, you know, we, you've talked a little bit about how there's a humanoid quality, or you know, there's a, a human emotional quality to um, these to the droids, droids, yeah. And and it really, I mean, three PO and R two, they fight kind of like an old married couple. Uh, and you're what you wonder if they even like each other. In fact, three uh, PO says that he doesn't. I always I thought of them like brothers. Yeah, like they always struck me as like. Is that how you trying to tell me something right now? Yes. <laughs> No, but like that's that's how you would like fight with your brother. Like when we were kids, you would just be like, "Oh, I don't even like you right now. Leave me alone. I'm going this way. Go, you go that way. I don't go, don't follow me. <laughs> You're not even allowed to go the same direction. Don't follow. Don't yeah. go this way. I don't care. Like don't follow me. Yeah, you know that's what it struck me as, and maybe it's because I saw it when I was a kid and we were brothers or whatever. But um, I it always struck me as just like two brothers just who are so annoyed with each other because <laughs> you know they've been stuck on this ship together for who knows how Stop long. touching me. Yeah, it's like it's like in the car ride on a road trip with yeah. your family. It's like his elbow's in my space. His elbow is in my space. 
R2's like, I don't even have elbows. This isn't fair. Uh, it's like the rockets haven't worked in years, C-3PO. <laughs> so on, along those lines. So this the scene where Archie's going through that little canyon and uh, and he gets captured by the Jawas. Um, for one, it's like it's kind of long, you know. It, at least yeah. it's, it's paced a little bit slower than some other things. And I always feel like so bad and scared for R two during that scene. Is like, oh, this, is, you know, it's like, girl, don't go in that house, kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, but like, also, uh, maybe I maybe I took a wrong turn. Also, I noticed uh, speaking of the jetpacks is that. R two D two is so heavy; it takes like six or eight Jawas to carry him. <laughs> but in the prequels, he flies around like a bird. So that's because he had rockets. The rockets don't work anymore. <laughs> he Jiminy. never had rockets. There was only one shot. It was Han, and there was no rockets. I think there was rockets. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, you know, and maybe it's because he's carrying around so much oil to spray on people later. You I don't mean, know. That it, might be why he's so heavy. It also could be why the rockets don't work. He just he doesn't have any more oil. That's That was the argument I made, and you didn't believe me in episode three. <laughs> um, the and, and then when he gets captured, they, they take him onto the sand crawler. And one thing that's it, not just in this scene, but throughout the entire movie, is it's just amazing how many things were created for this movie yeah. that are just in the background. Like, there's droids that we never know anything about, don't need to know anything about, including... The, the trash can the droid? The trash can, <laughs> one of my favorites. Um, you know what's the funny thing about that walking trash can droid? Is we had trash cans in middle school uh-huh. that looked exactly like that droid, and, like, it, I loved it every time. I there was used just to like, be one at Taco Bell. I was like, that's the trash can droid! Yeah, yeah absolutely. There used to be one at Taco Bell that looked exactly like it as well, and I that's what I thought of every time we were there. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, we, pretty soon after that, we get our first glimpse of the horror that is what uh, Lucas added in special effects to the special editions, which was... Uh, the stormtroopers riding around on those dinosaur things, which nobody needs, man. Uh, just don't. Um, <laughs> See, that's like one of the most like innocuous ads. Oh, absolutely. From the special that one's fine, though. but it, it's and just... they're far enough. They're like zoomed far enough out that they don't look that bad either. Yeah, it's kind of fine-ish, but I just it, I don't. It's unnecessary, but I didn't have an issue. It's more just like don't mess with it. It's to be done. Uh, and then about twenty minutes in, we meet Luke, which obviously is incredibly important. Um, uh, I did forget how whiny Luke was. Yeah, he's very whiny. Uh, but you also have to remember, he's he, probably like 19. We're right. Yeah, he's 19, but he he definitely follows in his father's footsteps. He's, he's For sure. He's a lot of angst. You know, and there's... But you also kind of understand... Okay, all of his friends have gone off to the Rebellion. Mm-hmm. All of them, right? And he's stuck here, working this farm with his uncle. Like, not even his parents. He's a believable 19-year-old. He's a 100% believable 19-year-old. And you kind of, you believe the situation too, right? I mean, if you were, if you had graduated from high school, I don't know what high school is like on Tatooine, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe he was the star. Probably very sandy. Maybe <laughs> his father hated the sand. Um, <laughs> maybe that's why. He's, maybe that's why Luke is so mad. That's why he wants to get get out of there so bad. But um, you know, so you imagine he's done with school or whatever that looks like on Tatooine. All of his friends go off to go fight in this war that he wants to be a part of. No, okay, but interestingly that he says he wants to go to the academy. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to be because I mean, uh, you know, solo he the, he goes to the Imperial Flight Academy right. and gets kicked out. But uh, it's only cuz he had a mind of his own. But for Luke it's like which is there a rebel academy that you can go to and if they're that well organized and everybody knows it like oh you can just go to the rebel academy and learn to be a pilot like which academy is he going to? I'm guessing so I don't 
think it's the same level of like organization and I kind of just chalk it up to like a 19 year old not knowing exactly how everything worked like yeah maybe they call it an academy like oh come to our flight academy or whatever but it's just like it's just a bunch of people jumping around sand like the jihad training camps <laughs> well, well, that or like maybe it's just like okay you go off to this thing and like yeah we'd love to train you a little bit more but you get about 15 minutes on how to fly this thing and then all right let's go don't crash <laughs> don't crash only shoot the bad guys you're ready <laughs> that's the academy i mean yeah it's a little confusing but it also is like i, I don't know it's well, and so part of this is... I don't think he was like, hey, I want to go join the Imperial Academy. Well, part of this, though, is definitely that this movie was was standalone at the time. There wasn't yes. a fully fleshed yeah. out universe. That so was they, one of the lines where... you into these things, and yeah. it's like, man, it doesn't quite There's work. a couple of them where it's just like, uh, okay. I mean, obviously there was enough organization that they had some... Uh, I'm sure they had some training when you signed yeah. up, you know? Speaking of which... Um, so, you know, R2 plays the message, the hope, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And he thinks Leia is beautiful. He mentions it out loud. Um, uh, and that's less weird when this is the only movie. Cause yes. it's like, way less know, weird. Uh, and also, uh, it didn't have to happen, you know, like it didn't have to happen that they were brother and sister and she kisses him a couple of times in this movie. And I think one uh, of them's on the cheek though, right? Other when they jump on yeah. the when they jump across with the uh... it's like side mouth it's pretty close <laughs> I watched it twice just to, to check I think it was supposed to be cheek and like Luke kind of turned into it a little bit <laughs> it's like it's Carrie Fisher I gotta take my chance <laughs> uh, no but he's like I know I'm not as good looking as Han Solo's or so I'll just as Harrison Ford so we're just gonna give it a go here um, no yeah there are a few things that stick out as far as like okay when this was made this was a standalone movie yeah you know um and, and i get that and i'm i don't know i'm for one it doesn't bother me i'm just kind of like oh that's kind of a thing and then i move on like it doesn't yeah no it it doesn't stick in my crop necessarily um although i will say i was totally you know team luke and leia i wanted them to end up together obviously not after this movie not after you find you out know, their brother and sister i'm not sick but i was also i was kind of hoping eventually that it'd be like just kidding you're not brother and sister you know there's enough of that kind of fakery in yeah the universe. but also i think it works better with them as brother and sister uh once you get through like return of the jedi and stuff where they're really diving into you know the darth vader and, and luke relationship part of it it makes more sense yeah and that they're brother and for sister. sure yeah you gotta have that leverage vader's gotta have that leverage because um, that's the thing that gets because you know don't get too far into it but luke is hiding and refusing to fight vader and mm -hmm. then he says well maybe i'll just go after your sister then and then he just freaks out and yeah. that's where he beats him i mean yeah from the motivation of wanting to protect leia as his sister is you yeah. know could also work as girlfriend wife though i know but what's the leverage there because like you assume leia's force sensitive because she's a skywalker it's true. It's you true. know whereas like oh maybe your girlfriend's force sensitive you also know, I, I will say it does them not being able to get together does glue han into the plot in a, in yes. a more significant way and i actually do like the leia han relationship even though i was much more of a luke leia after episode four or, well during episode four um i because han always seemed like a jerk to me and i was like you know he's he's the jerk he, he's a little too cocky i want luke to win this and you know without knowing that they were actually related uh, yeah we, we that, get, that makes it a that makes it a tough opinion in retrospect yeah 
<laughs> we introduced to blue milk not too long after that yeah so that's a nice thing that they yep. carried through um but no yeah we're talking about luke and how uh he was whiny but i think it it wasn't whiny to the point where it bothered me and i thought it was like a fairly accurate depiction of his situation for what his age was also yeah for sure um although at least he's less annoying than Anakin, or than Hayden Christensen as Anakin. Like, there's acceptable whiny in the Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he was definitely, like, a kind of a whiny teenager, but it wasn't to the point where I was like, I hate you, and I hope you get all your limbs cut off. <laughs> 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 Not that that's what I thought. I'm saying someone might have thought that. Yeah. I didn't enjoy watching him get burned alive the way Obi-Wan did. But. <laughs> um... There, there's honestly, there's just like so much in this movie that's so good. I mean, Luke's speeder we talked about in a previous episode is really cool, and how they they had to use the technology they had at the time, putting Vaseline. I was on like, the it lens. wasn't technology; they just smeared the lens <laughs> under the yeah, wheels. They, yeah, they used creative uh, strategies yes, to, to make yeah. this stuff work. Um, uh, you know, Obi Wan at Alec Guinness being such an incredible actor and was already in good stuff by this point. Yeah. Um, I know that he was the biggest get for them in terms of acting. Uh, and was was really quite good. Although Harrison Ford was second to that, he he'd already been in in big name movies. Before. Well, he had already been in what American Graffiti, I think. Uh, which one? Uh, Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. I've never seen American Graffiti, so I don't know. I haven't either, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's. But he's. It. But I I was looking through Harrison Ford's IMDb to see how where this fell in his career, and there were, he was in movies where he, he was on the poster, like he was one of the two faces on the poster. So okay, he was legitimately bigger, uh, you know, before he got in. Not to mention a little bit older than the other two actors. Um, yeah, so then, you know, we, we get the sweet scene with you know, Luke getting a lightsaber for the first time and being very reckless with it. Uh, how did my father die? Um, you know, and, and, oh man, just Alec Guinness's performance of, you know, that a young Jedi named Darth Vader, you know, and just his voice. Who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the way, the way he says evil. And pupil. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Vader was seduced by the dark side of the force and just all of it. So great. Yeah. Just for the record, Harrison Ford was in American graffiti in 1973, which is obviously also a George Lucas vehicle. Uh, yeah. Product. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, you have a really classic. So in the hero's journey, you have, you always have to have the hero reject the call. Um, and so for, for Luke, it's literal. I mean, George Lucas is not very subtle about like dropping some of these things. And it's like, learn about the Force, Luke. And nope, and can't. Got to go back to the farm. Got to go back to work that I hate. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. But although I will say that that says something about Luke's character too. That even though he wants to go live this life of adventure, he, he won't does... abandon. Yeah. You know his aunt and uncle, who yeah. would, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um. And then we get uh, onto the Star Destroyer, and uh, Vader's not impressed with the Death Star, uh, or at least not compared to the Force. You know, don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Um, and then, and then he, then we get the first Force choke. Yeah. And, and I love. Um, I don't remember. Maybe you can tell me this. Um, is the sound that he that that's on screen when he Force chokes that guy? Has that been in there yes. forever? Okay, he's I been, thought so, but he, I, he's like, it's the guy choking. No, no, it's like the whoosh sound, the, you know, the... Oh, I don't know. I, I couldn't remember if... It, I think it's always been there, but it's been... These movies have been revised so many times, it's hard to say, but I like that, and I like um, I like when Kylo Ren uses it, and it's like, it, it's much louder in the theaters now, and it's it's got this unsettling quality to it, and uh, you, it's, it's like you can feel things vibrating, and uh, I, I like that a lot. That's a really cool detail for me. Which, by the way, is something that... Uh, 
Lucas is incredibly good at, where you know he steals sounds from airplanes and from cars and all sorts of things and ma- mashes them together to make you know. So that's really not cool actually George Lucas. There's and I for I forgot his name. There is a there is a guy that did all of the the sound. The sound he was like the sound technician or whatever that. Mm-hmm. Like he invented the lightsaber sound. He invented. Oh, that's right. The yeah. uh, he invented the blaster sound. He invented uh, Chewbacca's voice and R two D 2s voice and all of it. Like, there's a guy, and I forget his name. I'll look it up later and uh, make sure to give him credit at least in the next one. But um, he is responsible for all of it, and it's it's incredible stuff, especially at the time. I believe it. I believe he said the. Uh, R2-D2 was the hardest because he's a being that is a main character that speaks, quote-unquote, a lot, mm-hmm. that is unable to use words or emote in any way. Mm-hmm. At least with, like, Chewbacca, he can emote both with his inflection and with his body, Yeah. whereas R2-D2 has none of that. Yeah, he's very expressive with his bleeps and bloops. Yeah, um, which is very impressive, but... I'll have to look up that uh, the sound guy's name for that because that was somebody entirely different from from George Lucas. Now I'm sure Lucas was like, "Hey, I kind of want it to sound like this," and the guy just kind of had to make it happen. But um, it looks like Ben Burt is his name. Ben Burt. That might that sounds right. Um, so moving on to let's skip a little bit further ahead here. Yeah, there's quite, yeah. Um, like I said, there's just so much in this movie. Yeah. And this, we don't need to go scene by scene, but the, uh, I think moving on to the, I guess, rescue scene, you start to get kind of a lot of, (laughs) of Han's character there. Mm -hmm. I feel like where, and, I will say this is, I know Solo is mostly a pointless movie, but I kind of like the, I like the difference between Alden Ehrenreich and, and Harrison Ford in their depictions because Alden Ehrenreich very much feels like a young, very optimistic guy Mm -hmm. who believes everything's going to work out and has this confidence and cockiness and, and whatever and, and, and charisma and Harrison Ford has a lot of that, but like that is also a dude that has seen some stuff. Yeah. And like, there's like a grizzledness and a skepticism to him now Yeah, that I think you see start to happen with what happens with Kira at the end of solo. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a, a plays a part in it, but I think you figure you're, like 16, 15, 16 more years after that at this point, mm. um, or at least 13. And, you know, in that time where he's been smuggling for Jabba, like he's seen some things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of just liked the, okay, he still has that charm, that charisma, but like it takes a while to get down to that, that actual core character of him side, yeah. where in Solo, like that's just who he is. It's just, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I will say that I, I did like... um you know, for both him and Lando and Solo, uh, to me it seems like they're uh, they're both kind of putting on fronts of like the characters that they will become, and and it took a minute for me to get used to that because we're so used to the fully baked Han Solo and fully baked Lando. But uh, to me, Alden Ehrenreich seems like he, uh, you know, it's like he's faking it till he makes it, and then you have 
Harrison Ford, who is more just like a guy with nothing to lose and, and has like, you know, it's worked out so many times before that he really is that cocky now. Whereas Alden seemed a little bit more like putting on a cocky front cause he's super scared, <laughs> you know? Um, and, but yeah, it, it's, it does seem like an evolution of that character. Um, so I like that a lot. Um, I, the one, so, and this isn't, I don't even, it doesn't bother me, but I will say the one, I guess, tiny nitpick I have about the movie is, I wish Darth Vader moved better. Hmm. Like, so in, especially in the uh, lightsaber scene with Kano- with Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, when you see the other lightsaber scenes, and like, say what you will about the prequels, but the lightsaber scenes are pretty dope. Yeah. And same thing in like Rogue One, where he is just cutting through these rebels like, mm-hmm. like a hot knife through butter. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that, and I get it was technology at the time, it was the guy in the suit and whatever, mm-hmm. like it was a super heavy outfit. And like, I get it. And I'm not mad about it. And, it doesn't... and also even just what was expected of fight choreography at the time. Right. And it doesn't bother me in terms of like, it doesn't ruin the movie for me or anything. But like, if you could have the same level of like, athleticism from Rogue One at the end of that movie mm-hmm. in a fight with, um, in a fight with Obi-Wan at that point. I get why Obi-Wan doesn't move well, right? Mm-hmm. He's old. Yeah. He hasn't been using the Force. He's... Although if he was like Count Dooku, he could be flipping around. He know? could, but you also have to figure like he hasn't been practicing, I would imagine, yeah. right? Like, Fair enough. You know, like he's just out of practice. I think Obi-Wan moves more like I expect an old man to move, and Count Dooku is ridiculous. So. Right, but if you're super powerful in the Force and you're using it all the time, like maybe it allows you to whatever. Yeah. But Obi-Wan, you understand why he moves that way. It would be, I, that's the only thing I have an issue with is just kind of the ploddingness of Darth Vader in this movie. He's got movie. fake legs, so. He does, but like he had fake legs in Rogue One too, and he that's was true. just like taking names, you know? That's so, true. Um, that would be my, that would be my one nitpick from the movie. Because the other nitpick that we have, or had for years, was why is there just this vent in the Darth, in the Death Star that blows everything up? <laughs> yeah. Is solved in Rogue One. Yeah. So, um, Really, that's the only like issue I have in the movie. I, to be honest, I didn't even really notice it, but that's partly because it's like such familiarity with the right. Movie. You've it's seen like, it just who, who Darth Vader so is. many times, right? But if you think about, yeah, I mean, especially how close this is to Rogue One, and sort of the again, this is kind of where the retconning can become a little bit problematic. Is that? But again, this is a continuity know. just in like a technical issue, not like in storyline, sure. and so it doesn't really bother me. But it is something that I noticed. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's. Uh, a, a couple of things. Uh, so when oh, talking about rescuing Leia, um, <laughs> I, I watched this movie with captions on this time, and uh, I think it was probably the first time I've ever done that. And so they take Chewbacca down to cell block one one three eight, or they say, saying they are, which is a, a shout out to George Lucas's first film, THX one one three eight or eleven thirty eight, and uh, and so they get down to the the detention block, mm-hmm. and I've never like there's just a lot of shouting in that scene. Yeah. But apparently what they say is, look out, he's loose. He'll tear us apart. I'll get him. And they just like, and then they just start shooting around the room. Uh, and it's like, that was their, that was the whole plan. It was just like, look out, he's loose. I'll get him. <laughs> and I just like, I, I laughed out loud because it, I don't know, I'd never caught those words Yeah, before. the actual specific words. Especially because loose sounds like Luke a lot. And so I always just assumed somebody was, was yelling saying, Luke. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, they're. I well, and I really like the part where um, 
Warhan's talking to the uh, operator, and you kind <laughs> yes. of get that's like that's like a microcosm yeah. of like Han Solo right there. Like that's yeah. I feel like a really good. Um, he's faking it until it doesn't work, and then and boring like, conversation anyway. Luke, we're gonna have company. Yeah, he's just like, well, we'll figure it out later. Let's get rid of this guy, and thirty seconds from now, I'll figure out what comes next. Um, which I kind of thought was just Han Solo in a nutshell. Um, and then we get Leia with, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Which is like, I mean, she's obviously heard the shooting and going on outside. And so she doesn't know exactly what's going on. But the first thing that she does is mouth off to the person who opens the door. <laughs> she doesn't know that she's being rescued. She's just like, she's sassy regardless. Of, well, it and doesn't also I'm pretty sure she knows she's supposed to be executed. So like, what does she care? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so one thing I do want to bring up is that Han is a little bit sexist in this movie. Um, uh, cause he's like, Wonderful girl. Either I'm going to kill her or I'm beginning to like her. Uh, he says there. And then, of course, he does the whole, like, your worshipfulness and stuff all the time. I didn't find that a sexist. I thought he was just, like, annoyed with her. Well, yes, but the one... Oh, where did I... Uh, he, he says something about... Uh, after that, he he says uh, something about, like... Oh, yeah. Uh, should be, it should, should be fine as long as we don't... Uh, as, as long as we avoid any more, quote, female advice. And I was just like, ooh, that's... That's a little rough. Yeah, it's... I think in the context of her being the only female in the room, I think it was very pointedly, like, as long as we don't take any more advice from this one here, and not, like, if any women in general tell us to do anything ever, we should not listen. I think that it probably is just something that, you know, in the 70s, um, you know, it was just a little more acceptable. I mean, if you think about all the words that kind of came out of that era where it's like, you know, if someone is weak, you call them a sissy. It's like, you know, which is like feminine. They're like, yeah, your sister or whatever. And, and I think it was, I don't think it was so much that it was like an intentional choice to make Han somewhat sexist so much as it was, Hey, we're watching an old movie and sometimes they have to say things that aren't quite okay anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, out of, out of old movies, it's a lot less troubling than a lot of the stuff you'll see. It's true. I mean, that's true. Um, all right, let's move on ahead here a little bit to, just real quick, I want to mention that the garbage shoot is my least favorite scene of the movie. Why is that? Uh, well, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a little long, but I also feel like uh, I it might just be a personal bugaboo where it might be why I'm a germaphobe now. Like, it's just so gross. <laughs> like uh, I'm not saying it's a bad scene, although the, the cheesy eyeball thing is it doesn't age particularly well. It scared me when I was a kid. Right. Uh, and it was a lot. It's one of those things, kind of like the Blair Witch, where it's like, it's scarier when you don't see exactly what it is, when it's just kind of the snake in the water, yeah. and it just, like, is Which, capturing you, bringing you down. Was the eyeball original? I think so, yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. you can see. It's like a puppet kind of okay. thing. Okay, yeah, real fair nasty. enough. Um, I just want to bring that up. I, it's my least favorite. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad scene. It's just... Ugh. All right, well, let's skip ahead to the Death Star run, because that's basically after the, after the rescue, they you know, go back to Yavin, they analyze the plans and everything, whatever. So they go and make the Death Star run. Um, now this, I want to use this portion to talk about Marsha Lucas because apparently in the original cut that George Lucas did, this Death Star run was like a half hour long. Yeah. And Luke makes the run like five or six or seven times unsuccessfully. Jeez. And just keeps going back and is like, oh, I got to loop around again. Let's go again. <laughs> and 
Marsha Luke. Terrible choice. Yeah, Marsha Lucas sees this and she's like, "No, that doesn't work. That's horrible." And so she cuts it all the way down to the one, the one run that we see. I mean, you have Gold Leader's unsuccessful run, and then you have no. But I mean, like Luke himself. No, I know, but I, yeah, yeah. I think it's important to have the one unsuccessful. It's, yes, absolutely. To show how hard it is. Yeah, it's important to show the difficulty of the run, but and you don't need to have Luke doing it for thirty minutes. Yeah, exactly. But Luke being blessed with the Force, you know, it makes more sense that he's able to kind of like guide the uh, torpedoes in there. Yeah. Um. So I just want to. Marsha Clark had a huge, or not Marsha Clark. I don't know <laughs> who is that? The OJ. <laughs> <laughs> Marsha Lucas. I don't even know where that came from. Uh, wow. Uh, Marsha Lucas had a large role in uh, both this movie and in Empire Strikes Back. I don't know. I know she's at, she's uh, credited as a film editor on this movie. I don't know if she's credited in the other two. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I haven't looked yet to see if she's credited in the other two original trilogy movies. But uh, her hand in this movie, if it was not there... I'm convinced it would not, none of us would be talking about watching or even have heard of Star Wars today. Yeah, and, you know, to that end, too, I, watching this movie, again, trying to watch it with fresh eyes this time, there is not a wasted scene in this movie. No, even though the pacing's a little bit slower, a there's times, nothing, not like, ex, like, extraneous in the movie. Well, and another thing about it, too, is, uh, if I remember right, so it, this movie clocks in at, at two minutes and one, or two hours and one minute, which is not... By Star Wars standards, is actually one of the briefer movies. Yeah, I mean, some of the prequels are almost two and a half hours, and there's yeah. a lot of wasted scenes And episode in those. eight was the longest, right? A little over two and a half. Uh, I think that's right. 234, something like that. And so, Which, again, if you had chopped out the casino scene, make that a nice crisp two hours, like, <laughs> yeah. you're good to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that to say, her editing was really, really felt on this film because every scene moves the plot forward. And as part of why this movie is so enduring is that you don't have to sit through boring stuff to get to where you need to be in this movie. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So wanted to make sure that we uh, shouted out Marsha Lucas, not Marsha Clark. That's a different person. <laughs> uh, Marsha Lucas for her pivotal and uh, and incredibly important role in making these movies. Um, anything? Did anything stick out? about you uh, stick out to you about the um death star run because i remember that being like as a child one of the most stressful scenes or stressful uh, yeah. anything yeah in my even after having seen it dozens of times yeah just being like oh no i i, I will say i do kind of wonder how much this movie in general contributed to my anxiety as an adult because just like there are you know between r2 getting captured and and these the death star run but yeah i agree it it's uh felt very nerve-wracking as a child yeah um, i'm pretty sure you come by your anxiety uh genetically and honestly like well, the rest of us fair enough but uh one thing that's not at all important that stood out was that the there's a kind of a heavy set pilot whose name is porkins in the, <laughs> in the movie and that doesn't feel very kind you sure is that what the close captioning absolutely says? what the close, that's close super funny said. i thought it was perkins <laughs> no it's porkins well sure. that's not nice but um you know and also it not to defend it, but like in the Navy or whatever, when you have pilots and stuff, like they get nicknames you, and stuff, and a lot of them are not nice. <laughs> yeah, well, and I thought about that, but it's and a lot of them have to do with your appearance. <laughs> but I also, I also feel like, man, this dude's about to sacrifice himself for you. Like maybe, maybe call him by Steve or whatever his real name is. But um, no, anyway, 
Uh, I love there's like so many things that that stick in my head from this scene, like Red Five standing by and the stay on target, stay it's, on target. Yeah, shouts to our guy Dan Haynes. That's yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I also. <laughs> <laughs> never mind uh negative negative it didn't go in it just impacted on the surface is it just it's a funny line to me <laughs> uh, that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> it, it can be used uh... for other things <laughs> uh yeah uh, but we also get you know <laughs> Use the force, Luke, and um, you know, and then Vader saying the force is strong with this one, and uh, you know, there's just yeah, there's so many iconic, memorable moments yeah. in this run that they're all so so good. Um, how about you? Uh, no, yeah, all the things you said, just like whether it's the lines, whether it's, and then the first time you see the Millennium Falcon come in, and you're like, oh, he came back, yeah, yeah, and he saves everybody, and he's like. Let's blow this thing and go home. Yeah. Like, just iconic, right? Yeah, I, even some of the screams in this scene, you know, where, like, Gold Leader's dying, and, you know, and he just, like, screams his way into the... As he's like, crashing into the Death Star. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, by the way, we didn't mention it, but um, when they're still on the Death Star, um, the point there's a point where Han just screams and chases the, yeah. uh, the Stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. I really paid attention to, like, how stupid that was before. And I, I don't mean, like... A, a bad scene but just like how, how revealing that is about Han's character I mean just like literally head down running with a gun just screaming and it's enough to scare off at least eight stormtroopers but then he gets into a room about like 30 50 and then he turns around and runs, <laughs> <laughs> runs back still screaming yeah <laughs> uh, I thought it was very on brand for, for <laughs> yes, Han for sure but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about it's like this is a guy who's got nothing left to lose like he's he's just living life by the seat of his pants and it's who he is now instead of you know, maybe he had a chance to be normal when he was still Alden Ehrenreich, but not anymore. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up here? So, I, um, throughout the years, the number of times that I've seen this movie, I have grown to love some of the little glitches uh, in here, including uh, one that comes right after this, but but one that comes early on where the, like, the stormtrooper hits his head on the door. Yeah. Um, I love that little piece. And then uh, when they're back on Yavin 4 and, they, um, and, and they're celebrating the explosion of the Death Star and Luke climbs, uh, climbs out and Leia runs up to him and he screams, Carrie? Um, oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, and it's like, it's pretty hard to catch and it's not in the subtitles, but I know that it's there for sure because I've watched enough yeah. of, uh, you know, extraneous Star Wars material about this. But And maybe it's in the commentary, but... Um, but yeah, he he says Carrie, and they left it in because you can't really tell what he said. Yeah. But also because it was the best take. Yeah. Um, and there's little pieces like that that I just love, especially as as iconic as, as she is, and and you know, uh, what a huge loss in, in missing her like that. Just stuff like that becomes all the more special. Yeah. Now, so. Well, and it kind of like, it almost it, just hearing that for the first time just strikes me as like okay, like, her and Mark Hamill were probably, like, actually really close. Yeah, the fact that and, her name is, like, what was on his lips as opposed to, like, I'm acting, and I'm acting excited. Yeah. But it, like, she's he's running up like, to him, and he just wraps her actually, Carrie, ex like, actually excited yeah, to yeah. see her, you know? And, yeah. Uh, so that's, it's sad now, but it's also kind of sweet. Yeah. Um, there, there's some stories that, uh, that, that um, oh my gosh, uh, Harrison Ford tells 
about the filming of this where apparently they would all go out and party and just get absolutely wasted yeah and, and that none of them could keep up with carrie fisher <laughs> uh, including him um and she'd just like come back on the set the next day and like you know sunglasses on or whatever but then like the cameras turned on and she like did her job and that's fine um I, I think it was on the graham norton show he told that story but um yeah again just more just more to say like what a great experience this must have been making this movie for them all right. Anything else from you before we wrap up here? I, th- I think that's about it. Again, uh, for me, I think this is the best movie of of the series, just in terms of like it, its importance, and also it's like a combination of the, its importance and the way that it was made. I would uh, say it is genuinely know. good, right? So it's yeah. the importance and the fact that it's good, and to me, there's just an incredible amount of nostalgia with it. Yeah. Um, which also it makes it hard to separate from the movie itself, but. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and uh, we will be back with. <clears throat> excuse me. We'll be back with you next week uh, to give you Episode Five: Five Empire Strikes Back. This has been heavy lifting with Ravi Lula. You can subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast on any of your podcast platforms of choice. You can also listen on the website ravilularadio.com. Find me on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula, or on Twitter or Instagram, at R-A-Lula. And uh, until next time, Raj, may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.